Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and on today's episode, we're talking best moves of the MLS offseason, theoretical Apple TV content, best game day atmospheres in the league, and much, much more. To do so, I'm joined by the man, the myth, the legend. It's Jeff Lowry. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing today? Hello. My name's Jeff. Uh, I hear Joe sucks, and I'm better than him. Now, I don't know if Jeff has anything prepared, and I do agree that Jeff is better than Joe, uh, but Joe did tell me that he wanted to spend the entire first segment on Brandon Vasquez to start things off. So, Joe, should we just clear out for you on that one? Uh, I'm still Jeff. I don't know what I don't know what you're talking about or where <laughs> you're right. leading there. Um, but no, I'm I'm excited to talk uh, about what the multiple listing service or whatever MLS That's is the these days. Let's you do it. it. MLS.com, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Rounding out the crew, no longer fresh from cutting first tracks in that sweet sweet powder. It's David Goss. How is it to be back in that big city, David? Yeah, Goss. it's great. <laughs> There's actually really good skiing down the hill. Um, for me in Brooklyn. So I'm actually excited about that. Feel like now we're talking code for illicit activities. Yeah. Can is I also throw out there? Brooklyn is there? Huh? Huh? <laughs> huh? Um, I'm, I'm old enough now that my entire social media account is about how to buy a house. And everyone talks about going to MLS now and like going to a major mm-hmm. listing service. And I'm triggered every time because I'm like, you guys are saying it wrong. You guys are saying it wrong. <laughs> yeah. you, ha- you can't use the and you can't say it that way. And you got to go to soccer.com you can't just go to mls yeah it's it's uh multiple listing service service.com you have to you have to spell it all out and then write Correct. service twice i think is how it works uh, uh guys on the patreon yesterday we talked briefly about the the kit leaks our favorites and maybe our least favorites uh what have you seen what do you make of the ones you've seen so far I have seen all of them. I skimmed uh-huh. through all of them and decided I was going to remember none of it. So Attaboy. that's how I feel pretty strongly. All right. I'm glad that you've seen them and have no thoughts. <laughs> Consummate professional David Goss. Let's get to the questions. Uh, coming from uh, on the Discord from Gravy Train. Uh, best MLS move so far this window, in your opinion? And Joe, also maybe the biggest head scratcher so far. Okay, I'll start with one. I have, I think, five moves that I, I like a lot that have already happened. There are others that I like, uh, but these are the ones that are towards the top of my list. And then I have a couple of, of ones that I don't love. I had a bit more trouble with that just because it feels like every signing in some ways is just like throwing a dart at the board and some are, are better throws by better dart players like that 16 year old kid who looks like he's 45 right some some he's he throwing is, some he of them 45. and, and we're throwing some of the other ones it's a little is hard it, to tell sometimes is it joe is it also that there haven't been as many moves thus far or as many big moves because i think yeah. that's what i struggled with was finding yeah. ones that like some were just like yeah that that seems okay there were none that i i was fully like this is way too much money this is not gonna work yeah th- there really haven't been a ton of giant dominoes to fall yet there's still a lot of dp spots open around major league soccer and those are going to be the moves tailored to, to sort of to your point i guess your question that um encourage the most vitriol right they're either going to be really good or, or really not so good it could be a waste of a dp slot etc cetera, etc cetera. but i've got some on my list so the first one that's on my list it happened a while ago now but it still feels like maybe the no-brainer top move of the offseason is miles robinson signing for fc cincinnati it, it's not the sexiest option because it's good team gets good center back and center backs don't tend to get a ton of great pub in the first place. And it's but this systematic. is a no brainer, right? Like this is an elite center back in major league soccer. They're replacing Yursa Mosquera, who's now um, you know, off to, I think La Liga on loan from wolves. So I would say that loan spent loan stand in Cincy worked out really well for him. It seems to have worked out really well for Cincy last year when they win the shield. It's a great replacement, probably even an upgrade on Yursa Mosquera. And, and there's not going to be any drop off in Cincinnati's back three. So I love that move for Cincy. I think it continues to push them up into that top of the East conversation. There are other questions in their squad. Are they going to get their their central midfielder from the Czech Republic over the line? Are they going to go out there and get one more forward? Or are they going to roll with Corey Barrett starting next to Aaron Bupenza? It's not like Cincy are, are done. I think there's still things left for them to, to actually get over the line this offseason. But Robinson was an early no-brainer move from them. Joe, an important question for me on the sexiness of that move. Uh, it relates to Cincinnati. If your most famous food you make is chili, can you right. be considered a sexy city just from the jump? 
Um, you certainly have a harder road to that yeah. designation. I don't I think, think it's I'm, impossible. Think it gets even harder when you have spaghetti in that equation for some unknown reason. Some would um, say it gets more nonsense, but yeah, sure, that's fine. But yeah, <laughs> I would argue if we're talking sexy, we probably need to talk to an expert like Jeff Lowry. Ah, should, should we get him? Let's see if I can find him. All right, I feel like oh, Jeff yeah, Lowry. <laughs> He's channeling Jeff now. <laughs> um, yeah, I've decided since he don't make the cut. Um, okay. so uh, that, that's the Jeff take on this one. Can I just ask, does it sound like since he also needs two wingbacks? Maybe. Yeah, so, probably. It sounds like Santiarias is leaving and um, Barrel wants to leave, which it's one of those things where it feels like the core of this team is there, but it also feels like on day one of this season, every other piece that isn't the core will be different. Yeah. And would that make it a good or a bad move for you, David Guth? I think if you're a team that won a supporter shield, you mm-hmm. want continuity. I think they've done really well to set themselves up to be prepared. And I've said over and over in MLS, if you have a spine that you can trust, it makes it easier for players to fit in. It makes it easier to bring pieces in versus a team that's trying to add to the spine on the fly. And we saw how long for some teams that made moves like Orlando last year, how long it took for them to sort of find their flow as it went along. Um, so I think for Cincinnati, it's worrying but there's trust with that front office and that coaching staff that they kind of have an idea of like what's next every time they make a move. Fair. So Joe said he has five. I think he's given us one. Goss, I'll invite you to jump in with one of your own. Uh, okay. I have mine split in MLS moves and then coming to MLS moves. Okay. So I'm going to start with my MLS moves uh-huh. because Miles Robinson was on that list. I'm going to do another. Can you center- explain that distinction? I'm assuming it means moves that have happened and moves that are not yet to happen, but seem likely to happen. No, Is it's that moves that are happening moves? of players moving inside the league and then moves of players coming to Major League Soccer from outside the league. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so I'm going to go center back as well. I'm going to go Kamal Miller. Uh, I think for Portland, the MLS Cup runs they've made have been built on the back of, of strong center back play. And they just got older and older at those positions without ever really refilling things. Kamal Miller's versatile. He's good on the ball. He's obviously played under Phil Neville before. I don't love Zach McGraw as an international level player, an all-star, whatever you want to call it, top best 11. But I think he's a good starting MLS center back, and that becomes easier when you're starting next to a player who's also comfortable and good at what they do. So I think for Portland, that's a big move. They didn't really give up that much for a player of that quality on now a decent contract and for a little while. So I like that move um, for Kamal Miller. And then the next one I'm going to go is Nico Lodero. I don't think Nico Lodero is who he was for Orlando, but he's better than what they had. And I think for a team that wants to be built around Facu Torres and wants to take a half step forward, this is a good move of a guy who it's not going to take him a while to figure it out. He's going to understand his role pretty quickly. He's going to help carry some of the young guys. And now hearing the Duncan McGuire rumors, you're going to need someone, I think, who helps the next forward settle in. I think Nico can be that guy. Uh, Joe, I don't know if you had Kamal Miller or Nico Ladero, but hopefully you still have a few names left on your list. Yep, I just had Nico Ladero written down four more times, so that actually wipes out my my entire list. No, I do have another Portland player, though. Maxime Cropot going to the Timbers. I think of those two guys, and, and maybe we'll fight about this. I think Cropot is pretty clearly the bigger addition for the Timbers. They needed help in the middle of the back line, but they really, really needed help in goal. They, their goalkeeping unit last year gave up more goals over expected than every team in Major League Soccer except one, the LA Galaxy, who were atrocious last year. They were just sort of ahead of Atlanta United last year and behind the LA Galaxy. It was a really, really rough year for Portland's goalkeeping unit. Maxime Cropo is a good goalkeeper, maybe even a great goalkeeper on a good day in Major League Soccer. He was incredible for LAFC in the playoffs last year, coming back after his injury. And generally, he's either been like right around average or well above average over the last several seasons inside of MLS. There's a reason why LAFC went out to get him from Vancouver, and there's a reason now why Portland wanted to get him in free agency. I think it's a no-brainer and a really, really strong signing from the Timbers, who still have work to do, by the way. But I love I love the Kamal Miller move. I just really, really love the Maxime Cropot move. Uh, a couple of others on my list, Taylor. I do have Emil Forsberg to the Red Bulls, and I'm not going to touch on this one for too long because we'll get to it more later on in the show. But I do think that is an, an, an easy upgrade in their attack. It's also representative of, of maybe something bigger in the pipeline between the European Red Bull clubs and the Major League Soccer Red Bull club that it feels like Red Bull Global forget exists from time to time. 
And then my other two on-field good moves, or, or really good moves, ones that Wait, I like Joe, more than most. Yeah, go ahead. Wait, should I save this question? It's a question about Forsberg and what you just said there. Should I save that till we get to him later on? Uh, yeah, we can save it for later. Okay. I've, got, okay. I've got plenty more to go through. Yeah, that's okay. fine. Um, in terms of the last couple of moves on my, on my great list, I have Julian Gressel going to enter Miami. Now, it seems like things are very much still in the process of clicking for Miami, as they are for every team in, in preseason right now. Uh, I don't think they found their tactical recipe really at all, and I don't really like the three-five-two that Tata Martino's been using. But Gressel is is a fantastic player, and he does give Miami's attack another dimension with his service from that right side. I think that is maybe the most obvious positive move that Miami could have made from a player who was already in Major League Soccer. So I, I love that one as well. And then Georgie going to Colorado. Uh, I can't remember if I mentioned that one or not because time is a flat circle. But he okay, Taylor's shaking his head no. Excellent work. Uh, 95th percentile and non-penalty expected goals plus expected assisted goals in his last season in Major League Soccer. Like he was fantastic for Wilfred Nance and CF Montreal. Uh, I am I'm curious. I, I don't know if skeptical is the right word. I'm curious to see how much of that was Nancé being a great coach and making Montreal into a well-oiled machine that finished second in the Eastern Conference, and how much of that was George Mihailovic taking a legitimate step forward? The Rapids are clearly banking on it being the, the latter there, and they're banking on him being an elite playmaker in a much different system to any system that he's played in consistently in Major League Soccer or over in the Netherlands. It's a risk for Colorado, but they're a team that needed to take a couple of risks, and I think generally speaking, he doesn't take up a DP spot. He's been a good MLS player in other years. He's only been a great MLS player for one year. Uh, either way, it's a big upgrade for the Rapids and a, a sort of a move that they can afford to make, even with the risk that comes with it. Joe's given us a few more players and also uh, sent astray in the direction of Kamal Miller. How are you feeling about that? I have Georgie on my list as well, okay. so I agree with um, Joe. I'm going to speak to Jeff now because I assume that's who went on the Maxime Crapo rant. Uh, Maxime Crapo is a big game goalkeeper. Like he's been fantastic in the postseason. He has been average or below average in regular seasons. Otherwise, I don't think it's as big a move as we all feel it's going to be. I understand the hole in goal for the Timbers of like the upgrade for them is massive. Like they sure. played David Bingham a ton last year. So if they sign John McCarthy, it could potentially be an upgrade. And John McCarthy is obviously <laughs> one of the worst goalkeepers in major league soccer. So I could understand the positivity there. I think Crepeau fits into the game model as well, has experience sure. in the league, has had some good years. I don't believe he is the game, a larger game changer than Kamal Miller will be. And I would be surprised if he's starting for them in two years because they're not LAFC where they're playing in every final and every knockout competition where he rose to the occasion. They need to grind through to make the playoffs finally. And I don't know if he's the player for that, but I agree on Georgie. I agree overall that the Timbers got better. The other two moves I had in there were um, Petar Musa. Coming to FC Dallas, the center forward from Benfica. I don't know if it's done yet. Both of these, I'm not sure if they're done yet. Well, one I know isn't. Um, this is a, a a style of transfer Dallas has pretty much never made, and they're doing it in a year where they haven't lost. So when they brought in Alan Velasco, it was to replace players they had sold overseas, to replace players that they had moved on and using that money. This is pretty much a team that's going to come back as strong as they were last year, and now you're adding elite talent. You're doing so in a way that I think will use Jesus Ferreira better. Um, you have versatility with Kamungo as well. It sounds like there's potential that they can continue to add from there. So I think this is a really big move for Dallas. If I'm a Dallas fan, I'd be excited for what this team could look like this year. And then the other one is Eddie Atuesta. He was an elite MLS player when he was here. It sounds like he's coming back to LAFC, at least on loan. They've lost almost their entire central midfield. He is a central midfield upon himself. He was last time he was here, and I think he can do that again. So you think about him and Tillman in there already. You've got ground coverage. You've got ability to connect. I think he can hit a killer pass a little bit more than some of the other guys that have been in that group and more than Tillman. And for LAFC, I think by bringing him in, you're starting already at a high point in the offseason, even without other moves that you're going to make. Um, I love the Eddie Atuesta move as well. Uh, Tom was on that one yesterday, along with, I think, a couple of other folks down from South America. Uh, Gus, by LAFC losing their entire midfield, do you mean Kellen Acosta? Or are there other people that I'm I'm forgetting about? They loaned out Krastev, who didn't play, and Buke is yeah, a winner. Yeah, it sounds okay. like everyone else of the young guys is going to get loaned out. And so, yeah, that's kind of what I meant in terms of like okay. whatever else was in rotation. Um, 
over the last two years, now you add in like losing Latif, losing seven sure. men. Things have changed. Things have changed for sure. And yeah, I would yeah, yeah. question, not in a negative way, just is Ilya going to be able to do it for another year well, at his age? Yeah, and, and that's that's a huge question for LAFC this year because it, it seems like they're aware of the fact that they cannot afford to play Ilya Sanchez as an every game player across a bunch of competitions in the way that they did last year. They they can't do that in 2024. I think they know that. Atuesta, though, is a fascinating move because he didn't play as a number eight last time he was in Major League Soccer. He was the number six, the single pivot, the back point of that, that triangle for Bob Bradley, mostly with Latif Blessing and Mark Anthony Kay in front of him. Like, that was the base of that fantastic 2019 LAFC team. Atuesta proved to be a phenomenal number six. Granted, I think he got some benefit because LAFC were just a monstrous team that year. Like, they were so good at almost every spot. And they played really good soccer, and that made his life easy in a lot of respects. But he also made life easy for the players around him. But all that to say, he was a single pivot number six. That is clearly a role where he can shine. That's also what Ilya Sanchez does. Like, that that's his thing. So if there's an obvious solution here in that one of them is the starter and one of them is the backup. I don't know, though, that you bring Atuesta back and you are so ready to relegate Ilya to the bench, right? So I'm curious, are we going to see a double pivot sometimes? Are we going to see Atuesta play... As a number eight, I haven't seen much of him in Brazil. Maybe he was doing some of that there. I've read that he wasn't particularly good down in Brazil. So, you know, who knows what we can make of that stretch. I'm just curious to see what Steve Torondolo does in terms of his midfield construction because I don't know that you bring Atuesta in to sit on the bench. And I don't know that it's time to bench Ilya Sanchez either, which means maybe something is going to change in how this team is constructed. Time will tell. You don't feel that Kellen and Ilya in basically most of their big games with Tillman were two sixes or two eights, whatever you want to call it, if not three with Tillman playing as a quote-unquote 10? Yeah, not really. Like, I, I watched LAFC a bunch last year. I mostly saw them with Ilya as the deepest player. Acosta would come deeper than Tim Tillman, but it wasn't like a double pivot with Tillman playing as the 10. To me, it still looked like that very similar, you know, Bob Bradley-esque four-three-three structure. Just Chirondolo has changed how the, the tactics work within that structure. Uh, but I, I don't think a change is impossible, and I don't think it's impossible for... Torundolo sort of to view it as more of a tweak than a, a big wholesale shift. Just thinking, okay, yeah, we'll keep one guy a little bit deeper on the left and out to Westo will pull some of the strings on that side and everything's going to be fine. But I think there are still questions about how those signings actually all fit together in that team. But I'm with you, Gus. Like, Atuesta seems like a very good player and I think he makes LAFC better. Those were all very interesting answers. Unfortunately, I can award no points because the correct answer is future Golden Boot winner Luis Suarez, who was quite good in Brazil. That is the answer <laughs> as to who is uh, the smartest move I so thought far. we had that little star on the bottom of the show, disclaimer, like, in all categories, will not mention Inter-Miami as part of the competition. <laughs> Uh, well, I think Joe already had Julian Gressel in there. So yeah, guys, that just means now you broken. get to mention somebody from Inter-Miami whenever you choose to do so. I'm going to uh, say... Um, because it, it counts as a full transfer okay. year. I'm I'm gonna throw it out there. I'm gonna say Lionel Messi. Is that mm. how you say it? Is that how yeah, it's pronounced? Definitely that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm gonna say him. Okay, there <laughs> we go. There Thank you there. for that, David Goss. Uh, in terms of biggest head scratchers, uh, Joe, we already talked a little bit about maybe not having like, like strong answers to this one. I feel like where I let landed was that coaches might be the biggest question mark mm. for me. Chris Armas to Colorado, Phil Neville to Portland, Caleb Porter to New England. Uh, I think it was Jeff Reuter wrote a piece for, about Minnesota United. And his point was, Sorry, there's another Jeff out there. This is going to be crushing <laughs> yeah, yeah, news yes, to Jeff yes. Lowry. <laughs> yes, but you come first in the alphabet. So you're gotcha. superior, obviously yes. he like, and I'm not trying to like, uh, paint his point unfairly, but in discussing the calamity that is Minnesota United, he was like, however, is it better to not have a coach right now, given some of the other <laughs> yeah. hires? And then he went through that list of coaches that have been hired. That is, those are all three, like, they're interesting in that they could work out. They're interesting in that they might not work out. And I think those are the ones where I have the biggest head scratch uh, about the moves that have happened. So that is where I went with that one. Uh, Joe, any thoughts on that or other players that you're less confident about? I did think about putting a coach or two on this list because I I had uh, on my list that we don't need to spend much time on. But in terms of like a a positive move off the field, I had the Galaxy elevating Will Kuntz to their GM role. I think that happened in December. And that's like a no brainer positive for them. Chris Klein's gone. Jovan Karofsky is gone. Like these are these are positive moves to the Galaxy front office. So I thought about mirroring that and looking at. You know, some off-field decisions by some of these other clubs. thought about putting Caleb Porter's name down. I thought about Neville. I thought about Armas. I just don't feel strongly enough about any of them as, like, major mistakes. I don't love any of those hires, but 
I don't know that they fill me with dread either or that they would fill me with dread if I was a fan of one of those teams. So I did stay on the field. Uh, the first name on my list is one that Taylor's probably not going to make you too happy. Gabriel Priani uh, just never has looked like a, a good soccer player in his in his young career. DC United <laughs> was brought in to be a number 10. Midway through last year, he was brought in on a loan with an option to buy. And I'm not really sure what DC saw that made them think, yo, fellas, we got to activate that buy clause. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know what, what it was. He didn't play a ton, so... There's probably still some untapped potential. He's just 20 years old, so I'm not at all ruling out a, a Goss theorem style, you know, breakout second year in Major League Soccer. But across 3,500 minutes in Brazil and MLS, he's he just hasn't done much in the attack. Like he's been played as a number 10 or high up on the field, and he doesn't create chances and he doesn't find them for himself. So I don't I don't love that decision. It is a, a, honestly a head scratcher for me. But this move overall, to look at it from a slightly more positive DC, DC perspective. It feels to me like Ali Mackay, new chief soccer officer over in D.C., wants to buy himself some time before making any really big moves. Like this offseason, I think of for D.C. as being a let's get stable, let's try not to win the spoon, and let's like try to build some tactical foundation that Troy Lissane is playing off of that then allows us to go out and get some big-time players moving forward. You know, Maybe that'll end up being a Benteke replacement and a click replacement because those guys aren't going to be around forever. Or maybe they do try to take a bigger swing sooner rather than later. But... I get that perspective from Makai of wanting to maybe ease in a little bit and not go out and make a big move and rush it and end up missing and, and wasting even more time. But I also don't think bringing Pirani back in and, and probably having him play a big role this year sets DC United up for much success in 2024. Goss, uh, Joe has decided to attack me personally with his anti-DC United rhetoric. Uh, any moves that you are scratching your head about so far? Taylor, I got you because I'm going to attack Joe personally. Thank you, thank you, Goss. On mine. Also, I'd like to state, did you guys know Yaya Torre was the Saudi Arabian national team assistant coach? Nope. So Goss is watching AFCON while we record? Is that or <laughs> no, no, I'm watching Asian the Asian Cup. Asian Cup Saudi Excuse Arabia. Me, of course, yes, yes. Um, and Andy Hartzog, of course, alongside Jurgen Klinsmann, there till the end. Please, this segment has gone not long enough, so please um, draw it out with more Asian Cup conversation. So <laughs> I didn't, I didn't have, I actually, Taylor, I think your coaching point is really interesting. I, I think it makes a ton of sense. I think it shows, and I may have said this on the show already. I think what the league and like using that as a ambiguous term took from, I think Houston's success. Last year was like, I can hire a locker room manager who knows the league, and then I'm in charge. I think a lot of the GMs and sporting directors and CSOs in the league looked at the, what happened with Ben Olsen and sort of said, like, I can pick an MLS veteran coach who can keep things on the rails, and then I can dictate the way my team plays based off who I bring in and what we decide to do. I think that's what we've seen from a lot of these coaching hires and maybe a lack of um, – bravery and like oh we can change the league i can change the way things are done and unfortunately i think that's the reaction to what happened last year and like what worked and what was success and that's not a knock on ben olsen right houston dynamo were arguably the most entertaining team to watch in mls and they did things that the club hasn't done in 10 plus years but i think that's sort of what we've seen as we've gone across the league my knock and this is like a super small one Joe mentioned Will Koontz. Shout out to Will Koontz. I think he's going to be very good. But this is like the 97th international fullback that the LA Galaxy have brought in in a league in which there's like no proof that that makes you better. So what they've done is they brought in John McCarthy, who, of course, best goalkeeper in Major League Soccer. And then this um, Japanese fullback, Miki Yamane, where they've brought in U22 signings at fullback. They've brought in international fullbacks. It just doesn't seem like a position that really moves the needle. And it felt like a very odd move. And some of the moves they've made so far this year have felt not like what I thought Will Koontz would bring. Now, I think part of that is like it takes a little time to get yourself set and figure out who's making decisions and who's doing what. I have confidence that it'll get better going forward. But those are those are my complaints. All right. We've got some positives. We got some complaints. We're going to take a break and then we've got more questions back soon. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. 
Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Welcome back to the Total Soccer Show, where David Goss has been continuing to talk about Yaya Torre in the break and his enthusiasm for it. Do you now have Yaya Cam up, Goss? Is that what you're paying attention to while we record? Yeah, Paramount Plus has its own <laughs> pop-out that you're able to do. Is that not exciting for you guys? It's like exciting. Yaya Torre is an exciting name. W- what excites you about him being an assistant coach? The prospect of him getting a bigger gig? The prospect Nothing. of him eating birthday cake on the sidelines? Nothing. What is it it's for just, you? It just makes the Saudi Arabia game more watchable. You okay. Know? Any anything it takes, guys. Yeah. I appreciate that. I appreciate again your steadfast attention to detail as we record this episode. Locked in, guys. Uh, qu- question. Locked in. <laughs> Another question comes from uh, Discord Stu. Disco Stu doesn't advertise. Uh, what are your thoughts on Pedro de la Vega to Seattle, Joe? A quick sort of primer uh, sure. for people who uh, are not Seattle fans or have forgotten. How does Brian Schmetzer want to play in terms of formation and approach before we get into how uh, Pedro de la Vega will fit in Seattle? Yeah, no, it's a great question, Taylor, and I think it will help set the foundation. Brian Schmetzer, for the most part, likes to let his talent do the work. Now, that's not to say that he just sits around on his hands all day and kind of twiddles his thumbs and lets everybody. I don't know how you twiddle your thumbs and sit on your hands at the same time, by the way. That's difficult. Brian Schmetzer is a talented guy. Like He's doing stuff. He's providing structures for Seattle to go out there and execute out of, but it's not hard and fast commitment to one particular way of playing in the way that the Red Bulls tend to play or in the way that the Columbus crew under Wilford Nancy tend to play. Defensively, for the Sounders, they usually play out of a 4-4-2. They press some. They'll be willing to sit deeper and play against the ball at other moments. They tend to be pretty man-oriented at times through the middle. Like They, they will get in your grill defensively, but they're not an all-out pressing team. They're not going to be in the top of, of that metric every year. And then with the ball, again, it's a lot of player-driven stuff. They're not super detailed or intricate with their build-up patterns. Oftentimes, they'll shift from that back four to a back three, with Nuhu becoming the left-sided center back in the back three, which pushes Alex Roldan high and wide on the right side. And so the structure you end up playing out of in possession is a back three. The left winger then is holding width high and wide on the left side, while Roldan, Alex Roldan, holds width high and wide on the right side. Usually there's a double pivot in midfield, and then the attackers are sort of a little a little freer in that front line. So it's roughly a 3-4-3. Three, three. At times, Nuhu doesn't stay back quite that deep, and it, it just ends up looking like a 4-2-3-1. But generally speaking, when we think about De La Vega, I think a lot of folks, myself included, imagine him hugging the, the sideline wide on that left side and being the, the width provider in a way that Leo Chu was sort of, he was tasked with doing that last year, but didn't do it especially well outside of Taylor, maybe the one Seattle game that you watched in person, where I think hmm. the Sounders cook sporting Kansas City uh, in, in, in Kansas City. So I think that's the vision for De La Vega. But Jordan Morris was overrated and not likely to score. And you win some, you lose some, Taylor. You really yeah, do. Yeah, you didn't have yeah. to say that, but it was big of you for bringing it back up yet again yeah. on this show. But that's yeah. the tactical foundation. It's a lot of player-driven stuff. They like the ball. They're not married to it. They like to press. They're not married to that either. Uh, players have some flexibility, but there are also these structures, usually a three-back with, with a one-winger wide and one full-back high and wide that they play out of with the ball. And 
And in terms of chance creation, do you expect if he's on the left, Pedro de la Vega, is he crossing? Is he cutting inside and taking shots? Because I do think that factors into how he's being utilized, specifically which foot he prefers to use. Yeah, he's super right-footed. Like, yeah. maybe not Carlos Vela left-footed, but de la Vega is is super, super one-foot dominant. He does not like to use his left foot whatsoever. He'll take pains to, to avoid using that left foot. So he's, I'll just go through the rest of my scouting report, and then I want to hear Goss's take. Great right foot, excellent on the dribble, like, like really, really good 1v1. Very vertical. Like, this guy loves, I don't know if it's, if it's, it's usually the NFL, right, where you hear scouting terms like north-south, Versus East-West, or maybe that's maybe that's in the NBA. Somebody who really likes to close ground vertically rather than horizontally. Like, De La Vega is a vertical north-south kind of player, and he works hard defensively. Like, you toss all those things into a blender, and there's a player there that Brian Schmetzer very much likes to have at his disposal. Some things I don't like, and reasons why I'm not sure this is a slam dunk signing, even though Diego Valeri very much thinks it is. Uh, like, he's, he's, again, super one-footed, as I mentioned. He doesn't really create chances. Like, De La Vega, 22 years old, coming in as a DP, he doesn't have a track record of, of going out and creating danger in the final third. Yeah, he can eliminate guys on the dribble. He can progress the ball. He's technically skilled, but he's not decisive or, or incisive in the final third. He was in the 36th percentile in, in non-penalty expected goals plus expected assisted goals among wingers and attacking midfielders in Argentina's top flight last year. And that's where he's coming from. He was with Lanús in Argentina. Seattle paid several million dollars to, to acquire his services. He's just not all the way there in the final third just yet. Now, the other thing I don't love or you could spin this as a positive, depending on if you're a Seattle fan or a Portland fan. He's only played 3,200 minutes in his career so far. He's 22 years old. Usually by that point in time, if you're a high-level soccer player, you have played significantly more than 3,200 professional minutes. De La Vegas had, I believe, a knee injury. He's had certainly a lower body injury before that's kept him out for some time. Uh, and again, when he's been on the field, he just hasn't been super goal dangerous. So the bet that Seattle are making is that they can turn him into a really high-level winger in their structure, with their talent development, like with the players around him. And I think that's a pretty good bet to make, but it is still a bet. Like this is not, a, in my view, at least a slam dunk signing that makes them better overnight. I think it will make them better. I think it could make them a lot better by the time the playoffs come around. But it wouldn't surprise me, Goss, if, if this is a move that takes a little time to come together on the field. I agree with you. Uh, I, the holes in his game, I think, from at least the outside as we're waiting for him to play, feel fairly obvious. Um, and then I think some of the moments of conversation now of like, he's an upgrade on Leo Chu, but you've also not lost Nico Ladero, but Ladero wasn't starting of like, oh, as the overall piece, how does the Sounders get better? It seems clear he's going to be better than Leo Chu, who maybe shouldn't have even been a starter, but he's going to add an element that didn't exist. And I think the thing that, when you look at the Sounders over the last year and a half, basically from the CCL win on, there was this plotting movement in that final third. They have ball progressors from the middle third, and they have tempo setters. They have Rusnak. They have Zhao Paulo, who is elite at what he does from a deeper position, and they're going to play some rotation of Atencio and other guys, I think, in central midfield who have shown they can be really good. So that's where I think it's okay that you lose Lodero and you don't replace him like for like because you do have strength centrally. And you've got a guy, and Joe talked about how Alex Roldan steps into the into the game, who is a chance creator as a passer and a ball mover from that right back position when he comes inside. So the Sounders as a unique team have some of what you'd expect from a quote-unquote number 10 from other positions. It should allow... De La Vega to do what he does best, which is take guys on 1v1, which is something that just hasn't existed in this team. And so every time you got into situations where teams were sitting deeper or in a game that was even and open, you now have someone who can create something out of nothing, who can create something that doesn't require a massive numbers advantage. So maybe you don't have to push Nuhu high as often, or you don't have to push Alex Roldan high as often. So maybe you can be a little bit safer at times defensively. And I think you take some of the pressure off Christian Roldan, off Rusnak, and off Jordan Morris. And the hope then is they can all play a little bit freer like they were in the CCL run, when it felt like all of them fit perfectly into their roles. And as Lodero sort of decreased in what he was capable of and, and the losses at times of Rui Diaz and then the lack of production from Leo Chu, it felt like a lot of them were pressing and not pressing in a team move. Like they were trying to strain to play at a higher level and do things that they're not fully comfortable with. So that's the hope 
with this acquisition is like you've added this element to the team of 1v1 ability to break down defenders without having to have five players in the area moving the ball perfectly that you did that didn't exist and chances start to come a little bit quicker and I'd throw in I like I think it's football by the way I think you're a north south runner as a running Great. back that's Thank you. that's where they use the term that's what Jordan Morris is he stretches the field very often there's no one with him and I think that will be interesting to see when the Sounders are against the ball, how high is De La Vega? How often is he the second option? Do they start playing that initial long ball over that left channel so that as Jordan Morris goes to pick it up, he's either got an underlap or someone to connect with? Or is it the opposite, which is he starts getting played down the right channel so that De La Vega can be a finisher coming across the box, which we've seen Jordan Morris be good at when him and Roldan have linked up in a few moments like that. So there's that other element, which is I think he fits in with what Jordan Morris does best and can be a huge weapon for the Seattle yeah. Sounders, especially on the road. Yeah, there are real reasons to, to like this signing. There's a lot of reasons to, to back the Sounders in particular as an organization to develop existing professionals, right? Like we have real evidence of them being a great spot for players to blossom into top five, top 10 players of their position in Major League Soccer. You can look at both Roldan brothers. You can look at Jordan Morris. You can look at even some of the younger guys who look at an Atencio or, or a Vargas. Like those are, are useful to very, very good MLS players. So in general, I back the Sounders to be a good spot to develop De La Vega. I just think it's clear that De La Vega still needs to develop. He is not the finished product yet. He hasn't played enough soccer for anybody to really have a complete grasp on his game and what he can bring to an MLS team that is trying to compete for trophies. Two two final thoughts from me on, on this whole move. Seattle, I think, are, are very clearly, as things stand right now, the best team in the Western Conference. LAFC have the power to wrestle that slot away from them. As their offseason goes on, they just dropped a video with three new hats coming out of some sort of like Night at the Museum-esque crate that they have somewhere underneath uh, their stadium. So there are moves coming for LAFC, and I, I think they still have the the one player that the Sounders don't. Like, they still have Dennis Buonga, and the Sounders don't have an elite MLS player, a top five MLS player. LAFC do, and that, that gives LAFC the potential edge anytime they meet. But the Sounders on quality right now in depth are clearly the best team in the West. And the last thing, even though I'm, I'm a bit skeptical about certain parts of this move, I think it's another example of, of Major League Soccer teams having to be a bit skeptical, right? If you're a team in MLS, you don't have the luxury of going out and waiting for Pedro de la Vega to score 12 goals and put together eight assists in an age 21 season, because when you do that, he's going to La Liga. And if you do that at age 19, you're going to Manchester City, right? So again, I, I think there are reasons to poke some holes in this move. But if you're an MLS team, you have to be you have to go out and make speculative moves because if you don't, like you're just straight up not going to have most of the time good players in Major League Soccer. So there's even more risk with some of these deals in, in Major League Soccer than there are, you know, maybe at the higher levels of the game over in Europe. I think those are two very strong points at the end there, Joe. All the points were good. Uh, but those two, especially because uh, I sat down and watched a, a good amount of Pedro de la Vega uh, in his time with Lenus, and I had those concerns. He seems pretty scrappy, pretty raw, exciting, but a lot of loose control, a lot of heavy touches, a few dribbles out of bounds, a few dribbles straight into a defender. Uh, he will also, I was surprised to see, occasionally move central and try to play back to goal and hold up play, but more often than not, draw fouls because he's littler and tends to get shoved over there. Uh, but it did feel like he was a player who was just sort of trying stuff, trying to turn and take people on, ready to go forward at a moment's notice, but didn't seem to have that end product. And so I think the point stands, Seattle can develop players, that works to his advantage, and then also Seattle can't really wait until he rounds his game out a bit and adds those goals and that next level ability because then he is probably playing in, in Spain or Italy or elsewhere. So uh, I have some trepidation about it as well. I think I'm less positive than I was when the move was first announced, uh, but that's because I've act watched actual footage of him instead of basing it off of uh, FIFA career mode, as I've talked ah, about previously. Uh, any other thoughts on Pedro de la Vega or shall we move to our next question? I would just say the what we're describing as that player, mm -hmm. I don't think there's a better situation than the Sounders, which is like they have strengths at all other 10 starting spots and the game is not on your shoulders. So as a young player who your best skill set is taking guys on, but when you lose it, sorry, and I'm not going to be effective all the time, that's the best spot you could come into because that's kind of all they're asking you for until you get your feet set and until you get more comfortable, which I think when we look at like some of the other players, like an Alan Velasco at time, Martino Hayda, 
players like that that have struggled, the team's kind of been on their shoulders from day one or very early on. That won't be the case with this team. All right, let's keep it moving then. Let's go to the next question from Sing.Electric. When the Apple TV deal was announced, one of the positives people talked about was the league's ability to now develop non-match programming. The Drive to Survive docuseries has been announced. But if you could greenlight one program that currently isn't on MLS Season Pass, what could it be? Uh, Guys, I did not check Season Pass listings, the most recent ones. But I really think we could use some sort of dedicated coverage on Lionel Messi and what he's up to. I don't know if that exists or has been done yet, but it feels like a no-brainer. It's it's actually Lionel as we've discussed oh, earlier. Bad. I my think it, like think thank about you. it as thank Antoine you, thank you, thank Randall L. Like you need a little bit of a pause between Lion <laughs> oh, wow. and L. You how need do you that know that gap, name? That one how little do you know, I don't that know. Name? I'm not sure how that's in my subconscious <laughs> somewhere, but it absolutely is. And I've been waiting to drop it since Goss said it earlier. Wow, wow, Joe. Since that was such a wonderful reference, uh, why don't you start us off with your answer to this question? Uh, all right, my my top answer is I want a transfer window special. I want like a weekly transfer show. Specifically, I want it with Tom breaking news, breaking down the news, giving some of the behind the scenes stuff that he's doing on his YouTube channel right now, which is good. Listeners, go check that out. Just look up Tom Bogert on YouTube. Uh, he did not pay me to say this, but Tom, it is it is good. Uh, and I want someone else on there or maybe a few other folks like going up to a, some sort of a tactics board and breaking some st- stuff down, like doing the, the conversation we just had about De La Vega. You know, if we're talking about MLS pokes, like have Tom and Doyle go out there and like play some some 2v2 for a while. Like, it just feels so obvious to me that that would be a really engaging piece of content. I don't know if the audience is there, but among people that are interested in that sort of thing, it feels like this would be a kind of a no-brainer, getting to have that balance of Tom breaking stuff down, like explaining the behind-the-scenes machinations of it all, and then somebody like on the board kind of going through, or on the maybe on the film room, right? Just like going through the signing and the mechanics and actually, are they a good player? Are they not? And how are they going to fit with this new team? And I think it's important to note, you're talking specifically about Tom and, and Doyle and not giving David Goss any opportunity, correct? Uh, yeah, that's absolutely correct. Um, lovely, I, lovely, I wouldn't lovely, want lovely. Goss to have any chances to continue to further his career me, in any way. Me and um, Jeff Flaherty have McCarthy. our own show going, so we're good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need that. That is, that's, that's one of the ones that's on my list. Uh, it just feels like it would be such good content, especially as MLS is getting to be a bigger player in the transfer space. Like go and go in and break the incoming moves down. Go, you know, if Tiago Amada goes to Fiorentina, like go go break that down. Talk about why it's a big deal and, and maybe how he'll fit and what it means for MLS. I, we get some of that in bits and pieces, but having a dedicated spot in the transfer windows in the summer, in the winter, that feels like it would be really, really good content. Uh, I like that one, Joe. For me, I, there's a risk that this exists because, to be honest, when you go to MLS season pass, there are so many things on there that it's difficult to know all of the things that exist, but I, I would love, and I don't think we would ever get, but a, a warts and all look at like three players moving from MLS to Europe and what that transition is like. And then three players coming into major league soccer who have no existing experience and sort of contrasting the situations and the scenarios they find themselves in. And that could feature artificial turf and commercial airline travel and having to deal with the ins and outs of an MLS season and leagues cup being thrown in. But I think it would also be interesting to see, players moving from MLS and kind of comparing the facilities, comparing the experience, comparing the atmosphere. And I don't know if MLS would love that because I think sometimes it probably wouldn't be the best look. But I also think seeing the warts is what is also makes it more interesting and and creates a little bit of drama that I think would pull in some people. So that's one for me I think could be could be kind of cool. Uh, I look forward to that never, ever being greenlit by Major League Soccer. Uh, Goss, give us a program that would be greenlit with you in charge. Um, I don't know if any of that's the case, but I've always dreamed of an MLS like college game day. Mm -hmm. I still think, and and we're going to get it on our next question, but I still think the number one selling point of Major League Soccer is the supporters and the atmospheres. And it just seems like a no brainer to me of like, maybe it's the day before the weekend of games. So maybe it's like Friday night, a, a weekend preview at the supporters bar in each market or, you know, out at a tailgate in the morning and then you have the games all coming up later in that day. It just, I know that sometimes that puts a strain on supporters and can be a little bit annoying, but at the same time you can do things to make it feel like a reward and make it feel positive as it should. And I I just think it would be really fun. Obviously we've been really fortunate. I, I know you guys have done a bunch of live stuff as well. And like, you know, extra time we did a couple live shows and, and meets with fans and like, it's awesome. It's always better to have a screaming crowd behind something than not have a screaming crowd. And when you watch college game day and all these things, it's all about like celebrating 
the fan culture. And I think MLS fan culture is better than college basketball and, and college football. And so I think it would just be a really cool thing to be able to do. Um, and it seems pretty well set up. I like that one. I like that a lot. Would you, would you have hot takes? Would you have uh, people screaming at the crowd when they, when they say the home team is going to lose? Yeah, like, you gotta are pick, you, you got to put in? a hat on every time there we, okay. or have a live animal come out um, or something like that upon your predictions. <laughs> I'm very into that. Let's make that happen. I like, like live animals on the preview show. What could possibly go wrong? I look forward to Andrew Weeby fleeing uh, a live broadcast. That should be good. Uh, we've got two more questions to this episode. Uh, we will answer them when we come back. Back soon. Hey, folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early. There are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation. There's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly. There's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there. There's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain. There are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Welcome back. Gentlemen, final segment, home stretch, two questions remaining. Goss alluded to it previously, so Goss, I'm coming to you first. Nice. Rat called AJ, which is maybe AJ Soprano. Uh, what are the top five MLS game day atmospheres? Goss, how say you? I, I think, think you're I'm the one who's end... been to the most games, I'm going to yeah. guess, of the three of us. So I'm, I look forward to hearing your thoughts. I think I'm going to end up on more than five. So I'm just going to start naming things, and they're not in an order. But they're all like a unique Ooh. experience. I'm going to go Cincinnati. Did I ask you for best cop-out answer? I, yeah, I wasn't I, sure I, if that was what was asked. I think, I, sure, go ahead. I think I've, I would like to send a formal invite for both of you to suck it. And you're so, <laughs> <laughs> but that'll be in your, your email. Thank you. uh, Cincinnati, <laughs> Atlanta. I'm going to go with Seattle um, and Portland. So that's four. And then I will say LAFC. So those would be my five. All right. I ended on five. I did it. What makes Cincy top of that list? I've actually never been to a Cincinnati game. Interesting. So that was a bold move. Cincinnati and St. Louis and Vancouver, the three I've never been to. Um, uh, but they, th it looks amazing. I think for me, it was kind of like, okay, big stadiums, small stadiums, in cities, sort of not. Um, mm -hmm. That's kind of a lot of what drives my experience in at MLS stadiums is like, what's the experience of like getting there and walking up and being around people and like, 
are, is it a huge parking lot with great tailgates? Is it a bar area where it's in the city and people are all sort of milling about all day? Um, they're all different. And it sounds like Cincinnati has a lot of those yeah. elements of like being accessible, being right there, new building. And I've never turned on a Cincinnati game on TV that wasn't an incredible crowd. And that's through the years when, you know, the year or so when they were horrendous. Um, so it feels like you're kind of always guaranteed a really good experience. So plus now they've been yeah. good. So it's fun to watch. And I think they've handled all the really big games really well. Like all of the open cups, leaks cup playoff games have felt like a big deal at that stadium and felt like a place that you want to be. Atlanta's always been that way. Can I jump in Cincinnati, if you don't mind? Sorry. Uh, But since I slammed them earlier, I feel like I should come back and say nice things. Uh, I have not been to an FC Cincinnati game. I have been to that stadium for a USA-Mexico game where it was very loud and a very good atmosphere, though it was both cold and raining. That did not uh, dampen the vibes at all. The pregame was spectacular. Uh, I also love like an industrial city. I'm a big fan of that. Uh, I would say put Cincinnati on that list. And I love an industrial city with a stadium in the downtown or a couple stadiums downtown. And, and, and they had that as well. Uh, so I, I agree with you guys. I think the Cincinnati experience is pretty solid. That stadium is awesome. Uh, the same probably goes for Atlanta. That stadium is pretty magnificent when it's packed and, uh, and hosting playoff games for sure. Thanks for the follow-up, Taylor. Thanks for being on my side. Because when we're talking to Cincinnati fans, I really wanted to be associated to you. Mm-hmm. In this moment, I wanted us to be tied together. It's usually Columbus who get mad at me for Got taking it. shots at Columbus. So I figured Which is also a great atmosphere, by mm-hmm. the way. Um, but I think it's going to take a couple more years for them to like rebuild things. Atlanta, if you've never been, go. I know it feels like a cliche, and you're like, ah, oh, blah, blah. It is awesome. It's unique. It's different. Um, the Pacific Northwest as well. And then LAFC... It just when the 3252 jumps and you're in the building, it's like nothing else. So as much as other teams have like built up great things and and you could argue better things, I think for me, still that experience and you saw, you know, to open MLS Cup, like it it felt like you were in Argentina with the way the supporter section reacted. I know they got in trouble for it and all those other things. That's not really my problem, so I don't care. Um, It's still special. It's still unique. But... I got to get in a car. I got to drive. I got to be in L.A. Like there's a lot of negatives that come with that one as well. So it's not going to be top of the list. All right. Uh, Joe, for you, I don't know how many of these stadiums you've been to, these teams you've seen in person, but I'm guessing you've got a list for us. I do. I I have a top three that I feel good about. uh, Mm -hmm. And I know I made fun of Goss, but I don't have a top five because I I just haven't been to enough games. Uh, Portland are top of my list because of some of the, the external factors that Goss mentioned, the location of the stadium. Providence Park is just awesome. Like, it is such a cool venue in Major League Soccer. And that is maybe where I would have the first uh, college game day that we're now adopting for for MLS season pass. Portland's top of my list. Seattle's number two. Also a fantastic environment. So loud. Taylor, I still remember being there for 2019 MLS Cup. And, like, the the press box was shaking. And this is an NFL press box, right? So, like, there are are tons and tons of seats. And it's, like, got a Starbucks inside. And, like, we're 40,000 stories high. And we can still feel the whole thing shaking. Atlanta, never been to number three on my list. Great attendance, great atmosphere by all accounts. They're absolutely in that top three. And then I've got for my blob, Cincinnati, Columbus, LAFC, Austin, and St. Louis. I've been to two of those, Columbus and LAFC. Both very, very good. I'd probably give a slight edge to LA on that front. Never been to Cincinnati. Looks awesome. Never been to Austin. Looks awesome. Never been to St. Louis. Also looks awesome on TV. Uh, There are other ones that belong in this discussion, but I feel like those are sort of maybe in the second tier after Portland, Seattle, Atlanta. But if someone would like to sponsor me to go to every stadium in MLS so I could have a real answer, uh, AJ, if you if you want to make this happen, I would be happy to follow up with you uh, <laughs> and, and even like do a sort of whatever whatever you want. I'll make it happen on the content side of things. And uh, and maybe we can go and tour the U.S. And, and it was all, the most expensive stadiums. question AJ had ever had asked. Ever asked. <laughs> I think we've landed on Joe's Apple TV show. It's yeah. Joe going to every stadium and then compiling a list and then getting yelled at for it and getting laminated across the board. I like Sounds it. Good to me. At the end, I just have to sit down with Anthony Precourt and explain why Austin aren't in the top spot. I think that's a good punishment for all the fun <laughs> that we have along the way. Um, um, Austin, all, definitely in the yeah. convo. Uh, Toronto, definitely in the convo for people who are like looking for trips that they want to do to go to games. Those are two really high ones on the list. It's SKC as well. Those would be the other ones. I guess St. Louis in there, but I've never been. Uh as I already mentioned previously, my only Sporting Kansas City game was not a great game for the the home crowd. So I do think that <laughs> factors into it. 
I feel like I've got a lot of the ones that would maybe be closer to the bottom of y'all's list as games that I have been okay. to, stadiums oh, that I've been to. I thought the ones you were oh, going to pick. Yeah, like, no, it feels like a weird flex. Going no, against like, the Grand like, Taylor, I like it. I've been, I've been to games in Atlanta and Seattle and Orlando. Haven't been to Portland or Austin. Those do seem pretty amazing. Portland would make my list, even though I've never been there, because of the fan engagement that we've seen, the Iron Front, the fan protests, the front office protests. Uh, it does feel like there's so much engagement and so much commitment to that team from the supporters that they would make it onto the list. But yeah, Sporting KC was a rough one. DC United, Red Bulls, Philly, Charlotte. I mean, Charlotte had a good atmosphere, but that was also their opening. Have you not been to people. a Philly playoff game? No, I have not. Oh, Philly playoff games are legit. Okay. It's a yeah. vibe. It's it's just the Chester aspect. Yeah, for sure. It, no, is, I'm is not going to fight. I'm not going to fight to put them top five, but like if you're ever around Philly for a, a game where they're sold out, which is now fairly often, like the stadium bumps and it's cool. And they sing Robin sometimes at the end of the game, which is sick. I'll take that. I'll take that. Uh, and then, yeah, Red Bull Arena. Uh, if you've ever wanted to walk past industrial construction sites with uh, chain link fence- fencing around them and then get to the stadium, that's a great way to do it. So, uh, though I do love an industrial city, I did not love walking to Red Bull Arena and the trip that that required. Uh, so yeah, Atlanta, Seattle, Portland, Austin. I had Orlando in there. I liked Orlando mostly because it's the outdoor press box a lot of the time. So you get to experience the game a little bit more. Although I'm going to guess July and August in Orlando, that's <laughs> less of a fun proposition. Uh, but I did enjoy those and I did enjoy that question. Final question. Uh, it's one we referenced earlier uh, from John 26 in the Discord. How big of an impact do you think Emil Forsberg will have on the New York Red Bulls this season? He's already scored an, a goal from his own half in a preseason friendly. So, Joe, I don't think there's any bigger impact he can have over the course of the season than that one individual moment. It's an unbelievable goal. It's an unbelievable goal. The only thing that maybe stands out to me more is just like how little everyone on the yeah. field seems to care about it happening. Yeah. He's like a good 12 yards inside his own half. It's from crazy far out. You know, like, he had already tried it like six times. Maybe, maybe that's what it was. And I was like, like Emil, stop. On, Quit yeah. it, man. Just play soccer. I don't know what it was, but no one on the field seemed to care. I thought it was a great goal and I loved it. And I will be watching it again later today because I've already spent several, several minutes watching it this morning. Um, he's going to make the Red Bulls attack noticeably better. Like the Red Bulls have had a giant crater in their squad where the number 10 is supposed to be for two years now. Looking, yes, he was signed as the DP ahead of the 2022 season. One of my least favorite MLS players ever. Um, Oh, if we're still doing that, uh, put together an MLS lineup that the other people hate. Gosh, there's another, there's another player for you. On the list of Luquinhos, Gonzalo Verón and Kaku, would you just have all three of them on your team? No, I mean, Kaku, yeah, he... Kicked a ball into somebody in the stands. Don't do that. Uh, on the field, he was actually, like, good. He was a respectable number 10 in Major League Soccer. Until he was like, hey, I'm just not going to come back. Well, yeah, you know, there's that. I play but, for uh, another team now, whether you sell me or not, so you it, should probably sell me. It would have been better for the Red Bulls if Luquinhas <laughs> did not come back for the 2023 season. Nice. He was a net negative for them last year. He's back in Brazil now. Um, better for him, better for the Red Bulls, better better for everybody. So Emil Forsberg is, is such an obvious upgrade on Luquinhas. He's not going to be a Reynoso who's back in Minnesota. Everybody's happy about that. Actually, might be in Arizona right now. I'm not sure because I think they got preseason out here. Uh, Carlos Hill, Lucho Acosta, Thiago Almada. Forsberg's not going to be that kind of player. He's not going to have that kind of impact because he's not a through ball threading number 10. And he's just straight up not as good at creating chances as those players. He is a more well-rounded kind of floating attacker who can play a little wider at times. He can take on players 1v1. He's just not going to thread balls in behind the back line like those players, but he has quality in possession. He's willing to work defensively. He should help smooth things out in whatever shape Sandro Schwartz is trying to use this year for the Red Bulls. I am setting the over-under for you two, now that I've gone through sort of my, my reasoning. I want to I plant my flag in the ground here. I'm setting the over-under for goal contributions for Emil Forsberg at 16.5 for this year. So goals and assists combined, 16.5. I will be taking the over. I have down on my list, eight goals, 10 assists. And I'm not talking about the MLS assist ones. Great podcast, terrible statistic. Um, Like, I'm talking actual (laughs) primary assists. I feel the other way around, actually. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) Um, Taylor, what say you? Eight eight goals, 10 assists. I set the line at 16 and a half. Which way are you going? Uh, I think it's a really good signing, and I think he's a really good player. I have liked him for quite some time. So I will take the over, though I I don't know a ton about how New York will actually attack and play and score goals. But I think if you're asking me if I think he'll be good, I think he'll be good. So I'll take the okay. over. Goss? 
First of all, whenever I do this, I like to say credit, good line. Thank I you. Think you hit, I think you hit it, but I will Thank also you. go over. So maybe nice. you did because all yeah. of us did. I'd if, add, wait, wait, hold on, hold on, stop. If I'd done 17 and a half, because I, I picked 18 combined. Like that's where I yeah. think. So 17 and a half, I would still go over. Would you still be over at 17 Probably, and a half? yeah. Okay, all right. So yeah, it wasn't a good line. It was a, it was a line. Um, for no, a it felt good. It made you think, and I think it puts it in a good spot of like eight and eight would be a good first season. Sure. Um, but the expectations are a little bit higher. I would point out specifically when we're talking about like counting stats, I think he's going to take every set piece. I think this is a team that's going to be dangerous on set pieces with the center back options they have, as well as potentially the center forwards. We'll see what it looks like this year. Um, so I think that's a huge threat that he'll be a part of. And in the signing overall, it's just like you look over the last 10 years as whatever debate you have about whether the Red Bull system wins in the playoffs and wins MLS cups. It's a team that has won in the regular season when they've spent any amount of money. And Emil Forsberg is spending money on a player at a higher level than what they've done. Probably since Thierry Henry, maybe you could say since Sasha question. So it feels pretty straightforward of just like they're better than they were last year today because he's on the team and because he's played in the system, he should fit in quicker than a normal acquisition for the Red Bulls takes. And they are always a playoff team anyway. So the steps should be pretty strong. They should contend for a top four spot in the Eastern Conference. I don't think they're MLS Cup favorites. I don't know that we'll really feel like they're contenders with the way the group's set up right now. Um, but I think they're they're definitely better than they've been. And I think he'll be a positive. Joe, I want to go back to something you said at the beginning of the show when talking about this move. Uh, I don't want to misquote you but it was basically sure. the idea that this could be representative of more movement from europe to uh the mls red bull team is that based on just like an opinion is that based on something you've read or is it based on wishful thinking so, something i've read that i wrote my, myself there no, we I mean, go I think, name <laughs> that counts name a meaningful move from rb salzburg or rb leipzig to the new york red bulls i'll cut through because we're getting to the end of the show you cannot like that it, it hasn't happened there have not been key players there's one for the red bulls go ahead carlos cornell mm, okay all right maybe key yeah. wasn't it the was right a term. fake one but it yeah. is one okay all right fair enough there have been very by a few half second i had that one coming in right <laughs> after goss i was there <laughs> takayoka <laughs> Uh, wow. Anytime a goalkeeper comes up on this show, David loves to bring up Takayoka for Taylor. Yeah, the Taylor's favorite um, player. The greatest goalkeeper yeah. of all time. Yeah. What yeah. Else everybody everybody knows that. Um, like, like there have been so few meaningful interactions, both directions, but especially moves yeah. from Salzburg and Leipzig to the New York Red Bulls. This is not a, a repeatable kind of, of thing, at least not year over year over year. It's not like there's going to be a Forsberg coming from Leipzig or Salzburg every season. Because they don't have a ton of those players. Like he was still getting meaningful Champions them, League, and yeah. yeah, sure, there you go. Like <laughs> there, there's not going to be a ton of these coming down the pipeline. But this is a sign that Red Bull Global remembers that the New York Red Bulls exist. Like I think I said something about that earlier. There have just been almost no interactions across these branches in in some way that involves RBNY. So like I, I like the idea of there being something going on here, and maybe maybe this means that there'll be more things that happen down the road. Okay, I, I would be excited for that. That that connection would make sense because they are connected, lest we forget. And the last piece of the hope would be that you have characters in Schneider and Sandro Schwartz that are viewed at a high level in Germany or Austria, wherever things are based out of, and have connections there to influence going in that in the direction of New York in a way that hasn't really existed. I think Jesse Marsh obviously was highly thought of, but I think like Jesse Marsh and Gerhard Struber were trying to get in to Red Bull Global at the European level, where it feels like Schneider is being brought here to help prop things up here for the European side. And so I think part of that... Um, connection and relationship that Joe talks about has been the power dynamic of like it always being in one direction. Cause there has been moves. They've all been the other way. They've been Tyler Adams. They've been Caden Clark. They've been guys like that. And it's not ever really been helpful. And I think that change has hopefully changed a little bit with the characters that have been put in. The other piece would be, I think there's a little bit of an acknowledgement of like, Oh, we can't just play 21 year olds and then have them get better. They need some support. So that's where you see an Emil Forsberg. And I think the hope would be if you're a Red Bull fan, it's like that's an acknowledgement now going forward of like 
at some point there needs to be a steady hand inside the team to help the young players get better and find their feet and establish themselves. And hopefully that's a trend that continues after Forsberg. All right, there we are. Well, gentlemen, thank you both uh, for answering those many questions. There weren't that many, but we did a good job of answering them all the same. Jill Lowry, thank you uh, for your answers. They were all quite good. And Jeff's were even pretty good, too. Yeah, Joe and Jeff both say thank you, Taylor. This was fun. Uh, I'm glad. And David Goss, you were fine. (laughs) I'd like to report Yaya Torre still no goals, no assists as assistant coach of Saudi Arabia in this game. What's the score? Zero, zero. So Jurgen Klinsmann still has a job? Yeah, he's all right. Crushing it. I would let's flip them. Let's flip them at halftime. Jurgen Klinsmann, a Cubs Saudi Arabia assistant, Yaya, Yaya Torre coaches uh, South Korea for the second half. And if South change, Korea wins 5 0. Oh, of course. Of course. Birthday cake for all. Listeners, thank you so much for listening. We will talk to you again very soon. 